I don't think people nowadays experience enough hardship. I think we have too many safety nets where people are not financially uncomfortable and they aren't put into places where they have to crawl out of a hole. Um, They're not. Yeah. And I feel like those four things, if they happen to somebody and you can come out on, on the other side, whether it's with the help of friends or whatever, then you know what it's like to be at rock bottom or to be or to overcome these adversities. Mm -hmm. So we talk about IQ and EQ a lot. There's actually an AQ, which is an adversity quotient. Okay. And um, it is a huge component in people being able to succeed. What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Gordon Podcast. I'm Justin Mahaley, and I am joined for the third time by Dr. Hugh Hunger. But this episode was by far our best yet. We are going to dive into neurodivergence, how you can leverage four very key traits for your greatest success to become ultra successful and impactful in the world. We are going to take a deep dive into what is Dr. Hugh doing to look so jacked? If you're not watching this on YouTube, you better go over there. And the way that he and I break down some fun fitness and bodybuilding things like strength and hypertrophy at the end of the show, I think you guys are going to love this episode. So make sure to share it, to tag us on Instagram, and then get ready. I'll see you inside. Dr. Hugh Hunger. Dude, you're a little bit more jacked than the last time you were on the show. Been working out. Have you? Following your lead. Just for your next grower die appearance? Correct. So like every couple months, I'm going to have you on and that's going to be your progress <laughs> metric. And then you can post on Instagram like after your third appearance on the show. Like this was my first. Yeah. This was my second. Well, uh-huh. today is your third. Um, but the last time I was with the group, this is my second. And then this is my third. You can like post that angle mm-hmm. or like that's... show your, yeah, your transformation. That'd be amazing. That would be, I, it would also be the first ever fitness transformation that was taken from a podcast <laughs> background. That would be phenomenal. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. In fact, actually, I don't even work out. I just come to the podcast yes. and it just rubs off. It just rubs off. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Yeah. My HRT level doses of testosterone <laughs> that I forget to inject here and there. And then I'm realizing that my levels definitely dropped. And so I have to like go in and make it up. Anyways. That's done. Dr. Hugh, you know what? there's something that I just inherently absolutely hate about election years, you know? Ooh. I don't like it. Um, People get fanatic. Yeah, but you know what's wild? Uh, What's your experience like in Austin? I feel like people here, they don't really get super involved. Yeah, and so it's a a huge dynamic of, or a dichotomy. Yeah. People are either super involved. They are. Or they're apathetic. They are. Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting living in a place of like very high IQs and high achieving professionals. That's like, dude, when you have so much going on for yourself, it's really difficult to stop and be like, wait, what's happening over here? Like, what are they doing now? Like, what are they saying? Mm -hmm. And Austin is a, a, a beautiful place to be. I was having this conversation with a friend the other day on his podcast. Somebody had said, well, you are in a perfect environment in Austin because you're in a um, like red city or a blue city in a red state. Mm-hmm. And Chris is like, it's not really like that. It's 
dude, people in Austin are just vibing, dude. Like literally people in Austin, like I feel like you and I have massive networks here. Mm -hmm. And speaking for myself and I assume it's true for you, like man, over 90% just don't give a shit. Yeah, that's most people just stay in their lane or, or the people, like you said, with high IQ people, they understand that there's nuance to every situation. Yeah. And sometimes, especially if they have high EQs, is they understand that people can have opinions, but not be a monolith. Yeah. So they don't fully agree with one side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the usage of monolith there. I, I'm not sure that word's ever been said on Grower Die podcast before. Love it. Um, we have a large social divide ongoing right now. Have you seen this graph by chance? Are you familiar with this? What is it? So the red line is showing females. Okay. Belief systems churning more democratic or liberal. Interesting. The blue line shows men's interests churning the opposite direction. And it's a literal split. If you're watching... On the podcast, on YouTube, maybe you can't see that. Maybe we could uh, uh, link this at the bottom. It's absolutely fascinating. Because this is going to become a massive, massive issue, especially this year. I would argue to say that the biggest issue we have going into 2024 is that social divide is monstrous. In this article that was on Yahoo, is absolutely fantastic. It says, men in American society still control more resources, earn higher wages, enjoy more prestige. But few young men have any experience in the boardroom, in the classroom. It's their female peers who are crushing it. So like the old white men still control all the money, but like the young oh, young men just yeah. don't have much exposure Interesting. or experience because young women are like kind of by themselves or like dealing with older men. Interesting. And when you were like 2021, like, were you dating? Were you like active in the romance scene? I was, uh, yeah, I was dating. Uh, actually, well, if you're talking about specifically 2021, no, I was not dating. But like 22, 23, I started dating again. Those are pivotal years. I mean, absolutely. To like figure out what you want, to get your heart broken a few times. <laughs> I did. To get your hopes up. <laughs> I did. You get ghosted. I know. You ghost them. Man, no, when I was 19, I was dating a girl, thought I was going to marry her. No shit. Uh-huh. You're not married, so it didn't That's work out. That's <laughs> correct. That's correct. I got a, I got a call one day because it was long distance. Yeah. And she just told me that like she cheated on me. At least she called. Yeah. The ownership that's is great. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. And her brother, like, uh, three days later called me and was like, just talk to her. She's been crying. And I was Aww. just like, and it was worse. It, it's like I had to show the empathy to call her and be like, I understand you're upset. I'm also upset. Yeah. So heartbroken. And I remember a few of my friends had pulled me out of that situation because, like, at that time, like, romance was, like, way up there for me i was like a hopeless romantic yeah and then and then to get that shattered and then to have to come back reevaluate your worldviews, yeah and then bring it into where you could love again yeah was a feat how old were you when you say you were in love for the first time um like 19 i thought i was in love i think my first love was at like 23 yeah okay yeah okay and then 
that ended around 25, 26, and yeah. I was shattered. Yeah, just on the ground. Correct. Like, literally. Was that your first rock bottom experience, you yeah. would say? I would yeah. have to say that. I do remember coming home from like work or, um, and like laying, I, I would just lay face down on the carpet and just like moan to the ether, just be like, ah, that's so sad. Yeah. That's crushing as a man to be experienced. And I'm sure it is as a woman too. I haven't lived many days in my life as a female, so I try not to speak for them. But uh, <laughs> I don't have any either. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a lot of experience what it's like being a female. Um, I would say I fell in love the first time when I was around, when I was 25. Really? That was like my first. What, yeah. what happened? Like, um, well, we moved to Austin together, so it was fantastic. That's great. We met when we were in a, we were both in a position of like, man, there's just so much ability to there, but there's a lot of loose, there's a lot of energy going out to sporadic places that aren't aligned with like where you need to go. Um, there's a lot of things happening that, are, are pulling you from like the one thing you're going to need to be focusing on. We met, um, like we had known each other for quite some time. We met and it was like, it was love at first sight. It was like immediate. Yeah. yeah like the first time we hung out. And I'm, I'm going to break this off. Like, what do you think creates that? Dude, that connection, that energetic vibration. I mean, we are all energetic beings and you know, that's why you and I gravitate so heavily towards each other because we're around that same frequency. If I was on frequency 749.623, then she was too. Like it was just <laughs> instantaneous. It's a really specific number. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, now I'm vibrating in the 900s. So. <laughs> so, um, and it, like, I just felt like, like, yeah, that was perfect. It was literally love at first sight. Wow. And we still have that connection to this day, just not in like a romantic love way. It's just, it's a very powerful, strong connection. And it's beautiful because you don't get a ton of those in your life where it's just like, oh my God, like I'm so drawn to this person. At the time I was earning maybe, you know, five, $6,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's okay. It's it pretty good. A lot better than like other trainers were doing and things like that. And yeah. like, we scraped together enough mm -hmm. to move across country. And it was the best thing that we ever did. That's awesome. It was the end of our relationship, but it was the best thing that we ever did because yeah. both of us found ourselves here. But we moved to Austin and we moved into a place that made us financially uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bowie. Oh, yeah. We had a sick pad at the Bowie. Sick. But like every time was the last week of the month and the first was coming around and we were like, hey, like how's things looking? How's your leads? We need a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. we need a little bit more money. Yeah. Or, but, but some months it was also good. And it was yeah. like, damn, that feels nice. So like, okay, like whew, we made it through. We're good to go. We're not going to be in any sort of negative situation. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, we, I moved from an apartment in Columbus. I was paying 780 some bucks a month to now this thing we're paying 3,400 bucks a month. And it's like the lifestyle change was mm -hmm. nuts. Mm -hmm. And, our, you know, I mean, yeah, we're, you know, we're doing like combined maybe 10 G's a month. We're like, we're not killing it, right? Yeah. Now. Pressure makes diamonds, right? Sure fucking does. Because <laughs> we just worked. We went ballistic. That's awesome. It's something I learned in that period here that I would love to hear your thoughts on. As somebody who's, you know, I, I respect your professionalism a ton and you're unbelievably talented at what you do. 
we were just taking messy action. We were just doing shit. We were just getting shit done. Mm-hmm. We had no idea if it was right. Mm-hmm. We had no idea the direction we were headed. Mm-hmm. But shit was getting done. And I think as a human being that you just need to be taking action and steps forward. Correct. There's no blueprint. Oh, yeah. No one handed me a blueprint and said, this is how you rebrand from this company that has 40,000 hashtags on Instagram with the logo everywhere implanted to something that what is together more. No one handed that. You have to figure it out as you go. Yep. I understand that. What's your relationship with messy action? Messy, like chaotic action? Chaotic. Yeah. Um, I, as somebody who delves too much into the mental realm and not into the physical, I love chaotic action over uh, contemplative action, I would say. Yes. Because if you think too much, but you don't act, then you're doing nothing. There's too many thinkers and not enough actors. Now, of course, when you act, you should be able to almost reevaluate what you're doing. So you're not being too chaotic to where you're either hurting yourself, your partner, or even the people around you. Mm. Controlled chaos. Controlled chaos. Yeah, that takes some emotional maturity. It takes, yeah, it takes uh, self-awareness. It does. Wow, you just kind of enlightened me to something. In that time period I'm speaking of, there was a lot of chaos. Mm -hmm. I wasn't in an emotional or a mental place for it to be controlled. That's crazy. So I had all these vices like cocaine or alcohol or like getting attention from women. You were looking for external cues to almost gain a metric on how chaotic your life was or non-chaotic. Yes. Isn't that wild? It's like self-sabotaging patterns. Yeah. Um, also, I just had, um, do you follow Man Talks on Instagram? No. Oh, Hugh, you would love his page. Man, okay. Yeah, you would really love his page. He was just on the podcast um, last Friday. A Man a Talks. Ago. Yeah, Man Talks. His name is Connor. Cool. Um, so dope. I had him on the show, and we chatted about these vices and these self-sabotaging actions, and we chatted about those men we're constantly looking as children to our fathers and the way that they execute in relationships and the way they execute their life. Mm-hmm. And I love my father and it, it feels very nice to be able to say that. I, I think you feel the same way. I also think we are both in agreement that we outdid him. That's fair. <laughs> By quite a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 same way with my father, he was an, in, he was incredible um role model in the idea of hard work not the best in like the fatherly realm but like somebody who i definitely looked up to but um one thing that i did have to latch on to because i had very few good examples in my life but i had a lot of bad examples Mm -hmm. and somebody told me once that wisdom is not only learning from your successes but also learning from your mistakes yeah and if you can learn from other people's mistakes then you get to slingshot past them i have a question for you if you were to maybe go back in time a little bit were you in the moment identifying like that's a bad example like i don't want to be like that person all the time yeah, me too. Yeah. But people don't have that. Not everyone has that. And sometimes people have to learn, well, you know, uh, it, there's a saying, I don't know if it's in the all over, but in the country world, if uh, if you're going to be stupid, you better be tough. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't have the wherewithal 
yeah. to look at other people's mistakes and not do them, then you better be tough. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. What was an interesting um, paradox for me? I, I've told you this story before. I've also told the podcast this story before. Um, I wasn't like the super smart kid by any stretch of imagination. I, I think you were pretty freaking smart and good at school. Uh, no. Oh, well, no. Oh, well, uh, let's put it in perspective. I was decent at school for the minimal effort that I put into it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you skated by pretty easily and got things. Um, I've told you the story about when I was eight years old, I was in church when we were like singing these hymns or whatever. And I was looking around and I was like, dude, this is weird. And this doesn't <laughs> really like feel right to me. And it's not that that's wrong. It's just not something that I, that was one of the first moments in my life. I had this soulful experience of, I don't really want to be here and like do this and I'm forced to do this, but it doesn't make me feel good. Like sports made me feel good. Yeah. And this whole organized church thing didn't make me feel good. And so I had some resentment towards my parents because at the same time, like their marriage was, had fallen apart. And then we come to church and you guys hold hands. I've never seen you hold hands at any other time. That's tough. And after church, we're going to go to Lowe's and you guys are going to get an argument in the car. And here we are talking at church right now about loving each other and not committing adultery and things that it's just all the mask, the the curtain was gone yeah and i was like so that was my leg up was i just happened to have some tick that happened for me in my brain to where then i was looking around i was like dude i want to be like any of you people and then you have friends in the church you go over to their house and you're Mm -hmm. just noticing like wow like your parents don't love each other either that's crazy like wow none of our parents love each other this is insane but Mm -hmm. then you get around parents that do have that that do love each other Mm mm-hmm and that's riveting. Yeah. Fuck. Like that's powerful. Mm-hmm. So it was the whole bad example of being separated from the good example. Yeah. But Hugh, I can't lie. I'm 30 and I'm fucking terrified. I'm terrified what of you- like marriage of the fact that I want to have kids so bad. So that means like your commitment needs to be very strong to somebody. Right. Yeah. Um, living with somebody because if you have kids like you probably shouldn't live apart Mm -hmm. like i don't really like want to like live together there's like this you don't want to live together nah dude i like i need my own space i was having my friend david about this i need my own space so i um i know this elderly lovely couple one of the examples that you described that they absolutely love each other but they have separate beds i love that yeah and i and i thought about it really hard and i was like that's okay. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I agree. I would also just be down like, dude, I need to have my own apartment, like my own little place. I'm own like whatever. Yeah. You know, uh, you're much more romantically mature than I. <laughs> I don't. All right. I'm, uh, Willing you're following? To, you're I, following? I am not following. You're, fo- you're not following? Maybe. Oh, where I am. Commitment will- is easier for, it's not easier. Com- you are better at, you have that muscle trained better than I have. That. I am a one girl kind of guy. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. No comments. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know, but I'm practicing. You know, I'm practicing that. Yeah. Like I'm practicing that like right now in real life. Um, so that means 
that you're like, you're looking for that. Like you're diving in for that. Yeah. Our first date conversations are probably so vastly different. If that's probably correct. I just said on a show the other day, who was I chatting with? Oh my God. I was chatting with Talia from okay. Dating Intentionally. She's amazing. And I was like, dude, a first date, I'm like, I'm going to ask her like, what turns you on more than anything else? Mm -hmm. And I want you to get fucking descriptive. Oh, okay. I'm going to know real fast if this is going to be a fit. Okay. Because if you're boring as hell and broad with the description. Now, this is like the first question. This is like, dude, we're an hour and a half in and she's loving it and we're having an amazing time. Maybe a shot of tequila or three has happened. <laughs> like we're loosened up, right? She's comfortable and safe. I'm not just walking in like, hey, Justin, great to meet you. What turns you on? <laughs> <laughs> Some people do that. I know. And sometimes it works for them. But that's the, that, that, that's the intention too, though. Like mm. my intention now, it definitely used to be. I, I know you're this way. Let's frame this. This is great. You're going to fucking, are we going to fucking... I'm not bringing somebody into my house to have sex with them if I don't know how immaculate this human's energy is. Like in my home, where Peyton and I, where you come over and hang out with me, my friend's conglomerate right mm -hmm. That energy is so precious to me. Good. That like, you're not just going to fuck it. Like, I don't do like hookups and like stuff like that. I am so far past that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm so far past that. Yeah. It sounds terrible. That, I mean, that comes with, um, again, like you said, uh, romantic maturity. It does. Yeah. It does. At what point are you taking someone back to the crib? At one point? At what, what, for me? what point? Yeah. Like how, how much trust you got to have there with that person? Man, that's good. That is a good question. Um, so I've actually had to evaluate this on dates and just be like, when do I want to take them back? Yeah. And like, I have actually been on dates where the, the woman is down to come back. And I'm just like, I don't want to, like you said, I don't want to waste that energy. No, no, no. And you don't get it back. Once you, you know, are inside of somebody, you're sharing energies, you're sharing your inputs. You don't get that back. Yeah. You had to be like, actually, you know what? I don't accept this energy. It's time for us to be done. Like that it's does, just that's not real. Yeah. I, I had to start evaluating that once you um, are looking for something that's of more romantic interest or like trying to um, narrow your focus into a silo or a um, one person focus that you no longer want to spend your time on frivolous matters. Ah, uh, frivolous. Yeah, frivolous. Like, That's a good point. Yeah, um, yeah. And and with that, it's like I found that if I did the the day after or the week after, I I would feel worse. Mm -hmm. Like I I knew what I was looking for, and I wasn't being authentic to it, and I was settling for that short term benefit. You didn't hold the boundary. Correct. My ah. own boundary. That I mean, hurts. I mean, I mean that dude. happens. It does, but it just it kills your self trust a little bit. Correct. Ah, oh. but then, but then that's a an opportunity to reevaluate, understand yourself. Why did you do that? Yeah. And so I always look at every opportunity of failure as an opportunity to grow. Yeah. I love that. I was asked in my Q&A today, how do you keep such high energy even in times of duress? 
And I feel like you're that same way. Those hard opportunities are the times you're like, damn, I kind of let myself down. Like, dude, they're temporary. They are. Like, what tough thing have you been through that is still persisting and is never going to go away? Nothing. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Every single thing, the ebbs and the flows are finite. And there's going to be a time where they end Mm -hmm. and whether, and that that's, you know, some people that can be quite sad to think about like, um, as I've gotten older, there's two really, 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 really fucking challenging things that are on my mind. One, Peyton turned seven this year. Mm. We probably got 13. If he's like, if we're, you know, he's real healthy. He feels amazing. He has amazing fulfillment in his life. But if we're being real, I need to start preparing for that right now. I do. So I love him a little bit extra. It makes me make sure I have extremely intentional time with Peyton every single day because we're probably on the other side of the halfway point. Yeah. Like th- that's going to be the worst day of, you know, of, of my life. That's fair. When that comes. Do you ever think about that? I think about, uh, I mean, I hate saying this because it sounds so weird, but I think about death a lot. And like, it's, it's an incredible motivator of what you should be focusing your time on. Mm. Because if you think about your death and you're like, it, it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. And that will be a honing of how you should think about the activities that you regularly participate in. And if you don't do that, then like you said, your life may get too chaotic or may veer off the track that you are trying to put your life on. Mm-hmm. And so like, um, I think it's Simon Sinek begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you look at the end of your life, I always say this to, to people, goals are you starting here and looking forward. Mm -hmm. Vision is going forward and looking back. So you're, you're, yeah, you vision is you looking at the end of your life and looking and seeing if where you are traveling aligns with where you want to be. I love that. That's vision. That, hits. that is vision. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, goals are pretty empty. Goals I, would, are pretty I wouldn't say goals are empty. You need both of them. So it's you uh, think? deductive and inductive. So okay. deductive is you're beginning with the end and logicking backwards. Inductive is you're starting with mm-hmm. w- right here and logicking forwards. Then maybe if, to reframe my thought, are goals empty without vision? Yes. It seems like goals are probably empty without. That is perfect. But vision might not be empty without goals because vision is just reverse engineering. And a lot of people don't need like micro goals to achieve. Correct. I'm not quite sure if I set goals. My goals every day is just to like hit my to-do list and get closer to the vision with my people. Those are goals. Do you have have, like the goals up to your vision or you just have a grandiose vision? Grandiose vision that I try to get closer to each day. Yeah. 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 Maybe those are goals. Yeah. Those that, are probably goals in that's fair. Uh, but back to the death conversation, the other part of the equation with the, the, the Peyton thing is, uh, I mean, my parents are both in their sixties. Yeah. You know, and I, I chat with them a lot, but you know, they just sound different than they did 10 years ago. Yep. You my, know, my dad, the same, my, I just visit my grandmother. Same thing. Yeah. They're just different. I, I was I was home. I saw my grandma for um, Christmas, mm-hmm. and you know she's in her eighties. And I mean, dude, she's old. Yeah, like she's she's old. How does how does death? How do you feel about death? 
when it comes to my parents, for example, I've come around to realizing a personal goal I have right now is I want to retire them both. Mm-hmm. Um, when they die, mm-hmm. if they die like real happy and fulfilled, then how sad can I really be? Yeah. It's going to be sad to not call them anymore. And I know <clears throat> the privilege that it is that I can pick up the phone right now and we'll both answer. Yeah. I know that's an insane privilege at 30, you know, coming on 31 in May. Like, I know that that's an amazing privilege. And, you know, I make sure to take advantage of that. Good. If they die with something that maybe I could have fulfilled or helped with, or, you know, I could have said something more, I could have whatever, then, you know, that won't feel good. Yeah. I just make sure to tell them I love them. Like there's people that die in their sixties every day. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, there's people that die in their fifties. There's people that die in their thirties every day. It's just the more, every time you add 10 years, obviously it's a much higher ratio. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen so many people like not prep for the inevitable of death and they just paralyze. And I, I feel I've, I, my, empathy feels for those people who struggle with like i lost my parent or lost you know whatever yeah but i do when your parents go up in age every day you're getting closer like we we are all ticking Mm -hmm. i mean shit you and i could leave this conversation and something bad could happen to one of us and we have no control over that yeah but at the end of the day like did you say everything you need to say like do they know where they're at in your life do they know how much you appreciate and love them um what do you think about with your parents as it pertains? Do you ever prep yourself? Yeah, I've had to, I've actually had to prep myself for a long time. My mother is a severe alcoholic yeah. to the point where um, she is demineralizing her bones because of how much alcohol Insane. she drinks. Wow. And it's just like- I'm sorry you're experiencing that. <clears throat> no, it's, it's been a crazy experience to the point where from a young age, you have to understand- um, vices, like you were describing, um, alcoholism, and then also just the the ability for humans to fail consistently and how you can still care about them, but you don't have to let them affect your life. Mm. So I, I care about my mother deeply, but there's a point where I had to uh, distance myself to a point where it, I mean, it was it would have held me back if I would have continued to try and hold that space emotionally. Because if this individual is not willing to change and you tried everything you can, you almost have to leave them so they will change. Uh, They can't be your emotional burden. Correct. Even when it's a parent. You can't. Yeah. You can't be the buttress to their... Um, to their vice. You can also just continue enabling them to as long as you like stay around. Like obviously your mom's probably not going to stop. Like it's difficult for an old dog dog to learn new tricks, but like. I, uh, I don't, I, I have to hold space that there's always hope, you know, you never lose hope. And I'm like, I hope she changes. Yeah. But with her problem came the idea at a young age that she may just die. And there was, there was one time where, uh, we were at the top of the stairs and she fell down the stairs and at the bottom, she, because she was in so much pain, she just wasn't moving. Wow. And like me and my brother just like looked at her and we're like, is she dead? No way. Oh yeah. And then like 
went down, picked her up. She was barely with it, like broke her foot, everything like that. And, um, but so I was able to use those experiences to channel the idea of how to cope with the death of a loved one. Yeah. And you had to emotionally prepare. Yeah. And, um, I just, it's crazy. Like you said, if, if somebody is going through a very terrible time and they die, then they no longer suffer. And if they're going through a really great time and they die, you're happy that they were able to experience that great time. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. When my grandfather died, my grandpa and Mahaley, that was the first experience I had with a loved one dying. I was nine or 10. Yeah. Um, he had this really bad arthritis. Um, like his fingers would like, like his hand was like this, but his fingers were that way, but his yep. hand was straight, you know? So like yep. to pay, to like drink, well, actually at the end, he couldn't do it anymore, but he would have to like cuff mm-hmm. the, the mug like that and then like drink from it. Oops. I spilled a little bit. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was so sad to watch. Um, when he, gosh, when, uh, I loved that man so much. He had such a profound impact on me, but it's like when he finally died, it was like, thank God he is not in pain anymore. Yeah. He's in hospice last few days and you just like, he would just like moan. He's out of it. He's out of it. Like he's gone. And you would just like hear this moan as I do. There's no way that you're in a very, like, they're like, oh no, he doesn't feel anything. I'm like, hmm, hmm. I just don't think you moan like that if you don't feel nothing. Like, That's what fair. What's going on, right? Um, and again, at the time, I'm coming out of this eight-year-old where I'm like, dude, you're awful of shit. And now I'm nine and this doctor's like, he doesn't feel anything. And I'm like, yeah, dude, um, yeah, I just disagree with your synopsis. I'm not a doctor, but I disagree with whatever you're you're saying right now. Yeah. Uh, but when he died, dude, you know what's crazy? You When he died, all of that... Um, Arthritis is a huge buildup of fluid that's mm-hmm. going to prevent you from it, whatever. It changes the shape. It's insane. It's insane. His hands. No way. When he died. I bet that was cool to see because then you were, just, you were just like, you were like, oh. But then he was, they were straight again. Huh. They laid by him pale as, just, they were always like purple and red and they were by him and they were perfectly straight. Hmm. all that like what in the world that was insane wow like i saw it saw it happen just the the release that's what it was it was this insane release all right you guys so i don't run paid ads and stuff on my show because um well quite frank i'm not super lying with anybody but also i just love the flow of how the grow and i podcast goes so how you can give back to me if you could share this, wherever you share stuff, it could be LinkedIn, it could be Instagram, it could be Twitter, and you just tag the Grow or Die page, tag me in it if you'd like to. That would help me so much as I continue to grow this show into eventually doing it in America tour in 2024 and try to come to a city near you to have some amazing guests on. I appreciate it a ton. Now, let's get back to the show. What do you think about pent up emotions in terms of our overall physical health? Because man, that man had a lot of pent up things that like he had just been dealing with. There's obviously a lot of stuff coming out about it. Now I think Dr. Joe Dispenza has really shined yeah. a light on it. Um, what's your take on that? 
on pent up emotions. Yeah. And physical Manifesting health. Manifesting and physical health. So one of the cool things that I um, try to implement in my practice mm-hmm. is um, not necessarily addressing those directly because of course I'm not an expert in that field, mm-hmm. but at least touching on them yeah. because I do think they play a role in physical health. Yeah. I think um, whether it's any form of emotion, it will affect health. Whether it's happiness, stress is a huge one that we touch on and stress can be in the form of anything that is going on in your life, whether it is external or internal. Depression, I think, is a form of stress because mm-hmm. um, there's eustress and then there's distress. Mm-hmm. And eustress is good stress like exercise, at least in moderate amounts. Distress is negative stress. And we're starting to understand that stress can then manifest as inflammation. And inflammation is a huge role in the body's ability to function, the body's ability to um, repair itself, and also just overall well-being. So if I'm talking about pent-up emotions in the body, then it does play a huge role in how you perform and how it manifests physically. I love that. And I have a question for you. If you were to explain to somebody like they were five, explain what inflammation Mm -hmm. is to someone like they're five, Mm -hmm. how would you say that? Um, Okay. So five years old, let's say. I know that's a little bit of a tough question, huh? But I feel like it's such an overused word and expression by people that have no, because some inflammation is good inflammation. Correct. You go to the gym. You train, you get a huge pump. What is going on when you have a pump? You literally are inflaming the muscle. You're inflaming the muscle cell. This is a good thing. And then when you go through the recovery process, there's inflammation that happens in that localized area because there's more nutrients coming into that place. There's more blood flow coming into that place. It's obviously damaged. So inflammation is there to protect it from further damage. Mm -hmm. Like these are good things that can happen. Um, When you have inflammation of like your lymph nodes, like that means your body's fighting off illness and trying not to let it manifest inside of your body and form inside of your body. Um, I don't think there's any positive to inflammation in the brain, right? That doesn't sound like... It's like you said, Any if it's too much inflammation, bad. But inflammation still does bring in... So there's, there's a term called chemotaxis. Okay. And so inflammation increases chemotaxis, which is bringing... In, it, it's kind of like um, osmosis, but for... Um, the mechanisms of the body to clean up any damage. Got it. So if you have okay. ke- if you have an area of increased metabolites, it increases chemotaxis, which is like the way that we remember it as taxi. So you're taxiing white blood cells across the barriers so it can come in and clean stuff up. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, right now is like the first time ever in the history of mankind that there's been like metals and parasites and bacteria found in the brain i don't know if yes maybe not anyway let me let me think about that so i think there's always been parasites okay i think maybe we're just now discovering yeah because that's why in old texts they say don't eat pork uncooked pork is a big cause of parasites in the body because pigs are disgusting and they just eat nasty shit. Um, there's just a parasite that lives in the muscle of pork. And unless you cook it well, it doesn't kill the parasite. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder if I wonder if medium rare is well enough because that pork belly tomahawk at Dean's is ridiculous. Ooh, I hope they cook it well. Man, I hope they <laughs> cook it well. <laughs> Whatever parasite it's got, come on, <laughs> baby, give it to me. That's great. Um, so back to inflammation. Okay, so if I was going to describe it to a five-year-old, the way I would describe it is a bridge fell and um, the inflammation is all of the rubble, right? Or the bricks and stuff. And then your body is trying to bring in bulldozers to clean up the bridge. But if there's too many bulldozers, they can't clean up the bridge. I love that. Yeah. That's really well said. Thank you. You came up with that all in your- Right now. <laughs> that's really good master the analogy right yeah um it's funny that that you said that you know before we started i was in my speech coaching with miles mm-hmm. and i think i remember talking to you about this and i've said it on the podcast um i identified maybe six seven months ago that my storytelling wasn't very good i needed to be a better storyteller okay and I've been working hard on it. I think, okay, I think you're pretty damn good, at least at being charismatic. So I appreciate you saying that. This is yeah. very kind. Miles told me today, yeah. this guy works with everyone. Okay. He told me today, he's like, you are a fantastic storyteller. And that little like feather in the cap, chip on the shoulder type situation, I was like, no shit. I have worked so hard at this Mm -hmm. because i know that i was not because i would listen i listen to every episode and i critique myself i critique how i'm operating it's an incredible talent it is yeah but it's one that can be trained oh yeah sorry i didn't mean to say that it was in it was an innate talent yeah you have definitely trained it yeah not every talent can be trained correct in my opinion um (laughs) so a lot of people disagree with that and you might disagree with that i haven't we can dive into that yeah but um, that was very nice. So my next thing that I'm trying, mm-hmm. and you might see it in some of my content, you might see it like on the show. I need to get better at analogies. You know who's amazing? Jordan Duggar comes up with these. He was just on my show. He comes up with these analogies. He always has. Yeah. I was like, where the, f- where, where did that come from? How in the world? Yeah. Like, where'd you pull that from? Mm-hmm. And like you just pulling in that bulldozer reference was really <laughs> impressive. I love that. Yeah, that was good. Uh, you think all talents can be trained. What I mean by that, you and I, mm-hmm. <sighs> this one's going to, that one's too easy to refute. <laughs> like no matter how hard we train, we can't become Michael Jordan. Oh, but we're okay. So hang on. So were you talking about a talent and can a talent be trained or can a talent become elite level? I think everything can be trained, but there are limits to progress. I already disagree with the statement that I just made, though. (laughs) Okay, let's go. What makes an elite athlete elite isn't their skill set. It's the mindset. It's their ability to enter the flow state. All right, it's a little bit of both. I'm going. No, no, the skill set's huge. But if you, there's dudes that have the skill set, and they aren't there mentally. Correct. Um, like I'm not some amazing sportscast or anything like that. But some of the things that like Kyrie Irving does with the basketball, I've never seen somebody else doing it. I mean, it's remarkable the way he gets around the floor. Yet the guy's not going to be remembered for like super long after he's done playing because he, I mean, it's just gone. It's gone upstairs. Really? Um, 
like i mean he has like some conspiracies and stuff that like have brought him negative attention like the whole flat earth thing and stuff that he had like brought him <laughs> negative attention yeah like i'm cool with you believing like whatever you want um I'm not quite sure that we want to hop on board with someone that like you're investing a hundred million dollars into as a leader of your team, as a leader of your city being like, Oh, the earth's flat. Like there's just critical thinking skills here, but it goes a lot deeper in that. Like when you watch Michael Jordan or Kobe or LeBron, you know, and Patrick Mahomes, like play sports when they start hitting like, Patrick Mahomes in the championship game last week, we were watching it and he just couldn't be stopped. There was nothing that the Ravens could throw at him that could even cut. And the game's over. Mm -hmm. It's done because his greatness from the skill, yet also the he's seen things on the field before they're happening. And there's nothing you can do to get in the way and prevent that. Like, you know, Michael had the same, you know, Kobe had the same Mm -hmm. Brady, Peyton, you know, all these people, right? That flow state, the skill set can be trained. I'm not sure how much that flow state can really be trained. You mm. kind of got it or you don't. That's a, actually, that's an interesting point. Um, cause, I would love to be proven wrong. Because I don't disagree. Uh, I, I think that talents can be trained. I do think in elite sports or maybe even in um, some be- some people's IQ, it is there's a huge genetic component. Um, I don't know. Maybe a flow state is linked to a genetic component. And have you ever read the book Sports Gene? Oh, I have not. Oh, it's a it's a great book, and it kind of relates um, people into the idea that while there is a huge component of, like you said, the mindset, but it makes a really good example. The one that I remembered was the Achilles tendon length is hugely relative to how high you can jump. You've told me about this before, yeah. and that is fascinating. Current evidence suggests the differences in the tendency to experience flow may be determined by autotelic personality traits, so genes associated with the neurotransmitter dopamine receptors, but social and educational factors play a huge role in this as well. Yeah, so it's almost like nature versus nurture, yeah. Yeah. And then I always I always take this in the form of like, if it's your nature, it's already set. It's kind of like people who like, if if fate exists, then you can't change fate. Mm-hmm. But you, so you might as well focus on the nurture aspect. Ah. You might, might as well focus on the things you can control. Okay. So if like, say you're, uh, you can only get into 50% of a flow state as Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. then you better make up for that in other areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, good luck with that. When you're going against somebody elite, good Correct. luck with that. Correct. The triad of passion, purpose, and curiosity create, creates a formidable fusion of flow triggers. These triggers help boost intrinsic motivation, achieve a challenge skill balance. That's interesting. A challenge skill balance. I like it. When you see the statistics of like when Michael Jordan was guarded by um, whoever, mm-hmm. another great player, mm-hmm. he did this. Yeah. Or when he was guarded by this person, maybe his output was similar, but not quite as great. Correct. That's very interesting. And provide a clear sense of direction which is huge for sports. That clear sense of direction, it cuts down thought processing and that's uh-huh. how you enter into a 
actually, flow state. I actually uh, can um, resonate with this a little bit. My my father always said this a lot when I played soccer. If I was playing center mid, there's less time to think because you're in like everything's around you, everything's going through you. Yeah. And the less I thought, the more I had to rely on the flow state. Yeah. And I just made intuitive moves yeah. that were incredible. Yes. Um, but the more and more that I got out of that flow state, the more I overthought, I did all these. A loss of reflective consciousness is a... Hey. Yes. The, to, to your point, that is a... Um, precursor for getting into a flow state, focus, concentration on the present moment, intense merging of action and awareness and the loss of reflective self-consciousness that, that, yeah, that thing right there might be the biggest component to it. Because if you have no self-consciousness and you are, there is challenge, skill, goal. Yep. I love it. No complete ego dissolution, but you need those to be in, in like a level that complement each other. If one is yeah. too much, then it's going to override. Yeah. It's going to tilt the boat. I, I believe that probably to enter a flow state in something, you're likely going to have a lot of self-belief built up that was built up through the practice of skill. Like, mm. I know that I'm good at, like, well, to your point, I'm good at soccer. Mm -hmm. So... I have worked this skill, so I believe in myself tremendously. Mm -hmm. And that might be a key to unlocking the loss of reflective self-consciousness to be able to actually get to that. But like someone who's just average isn't going to fucking hit a flow state. Or if, if that comes into play, sometimes delusion is helpful. Mm -hmm. Oh, delusions, wildly helpful. I'm optimistic delusion, delusional. Have you, do you know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is? Um, you explained it before. To I, me. I love this because it, it just describes everyone so much. At the beginning, you learn a little bit mm -hmm. and you're like, I know everything about this topic. And so that is um, unconsciously, no, 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 it's not unconsciously competent. It's um, unconsciously incompetent. Yeah. So you don't even know that you're incompetent, but you're at the top of this confidence, yes. this like, this like uh, loop. And, uh, and then once you start learning more, you're like, I know nothing. nothing. Yes. And now you are consciously incompetent. So that's the next level. You actually are conscious of your incompetence. Yeah. And then finally you start to climb up this very small slope yeah. where you're getting more and more confidence. And that's where you eventually become unconsciously competent where yeah. everything that you are is just, you're just like, oh, this is how it is. Yeah. And, and like, I feel like there's so many people who you need to ride that first wave of confidence and that's almost delusion mm -hmm. and like it's almost like false bravado mm -hmm. if it's false bravado it's still bravado it is it and is. it's like and that confidence can sometimes drive give, give you momentum to get through that slump a lot of people stop in that false bravado state though because they don't want their challenges to Correct. be or their beliefs to be challenged yep cognitive dissonance yeah that's not a good place to be terrible place to be you, if you stop there yeah yeah you end up um you end up under servicing yourself and and everybody around you yeah and everybody that's around like you you become a cult leader you do uh -huh. dude you're so right i saw this thing yesterday and unfortunately it brought things uh, front of mind or people front of mind said, if you're in an environment where the word cannot be challenged, you are in a cult. 
Yeah. And wow. Dude, I have a friend. You haven't met him yet. <laughs> You'll meet him. All right. You get along well with him. I'm excited. I have a friend who's coming on the show who grew up in a fucking religious cult. Damn. When he was 16, he ran away. When he was what? Oh, he's 16. He ran away? That's when he ran away. Man. Bro, some of the stories. It's completely dis, uh, dissolved now. The okay. cult has. Yeah. Some of the stories. Oh. It's crazy. What? Yeah. And they kept getting told, like, well, Jesus is coming back, you know, next year. Yeah. Oh, no, like, not this year because, so Jesus is actually coming on this date next year. Because, but it didn't happen because I could make up something like Mercury's in retrograde. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Or, (laughs) like, you guys didn't do. Oh, no. Yes. I, I, I find it funny because, like. This is why you need to be, um, I guess, exposed to so many different ideas because inside of that cult, I'm sure it was internally consistent. I'm sure it was. Yeah, like everything made sense inside of the cult. From what I've gathered, it seems so. Yeah. My friend had some early doubts when there was like, like everyone's having sex with everybody and like this is really weird and like why is the cult leader having sex with every woman who's in this thing including young girls they, it's like that's strange yeah bro. they make up that's strange um there was a note that i took down about walter isaacson mm-hmm. do you know the whole thing you know the famous biographer who does he did steve jobs he did elon musk's most recent biography he's fantastic okay he was on Diary of a CEO podcast and he was talking about, he's done so many incredible people. Those are just kind of the two most notable. Every hyper successful individual that he's been around to that level, there's a very common backstory to them. And he has this thing that's the prerequisites mm-hmm. of um, achieving ultra success which obviously I think they're kind of the definition of at the perfect point in your life, you had to be at an impressionable point. You had to be let down by a figure who you idolized. Okay. Oh, wow. So not feeling love. Also, you too had to not grow up in complete poverty, but you can't grow up well off. You have to grow up where your family's struggling a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. But you're not like not eating for days or like out on the streets homeless or like whatever. Yes. Because you have to learn that chip on your shoulder, really fucking hard work. Like this is stressful. How to bounce back from stress, stress, resilience, all this. Yeah. You have to have your heart completely destroyed by somebody who you love. Yeah. Like a partner Mm -hmm. or a friend. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you have those three things happen at impressionable times in your life, then you choose a direction that you get to go. Ooh. And one of the directions is you start doing ultra uncommon things. One of the directions is you scramble and get to a place in society where you're comfortable and you have a safety net and you just stay there. Okay. And you do not push because, oh my God, like I'm out of the race. Yeah. Although you're, you're still in the rat race, theoretically, yeah. according to him. Very, 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 very few people have these happen at a time where they, oh, you have to experience some form of abuse. 
Interesting. That one's tough. Okay. That one's tough. Yeah. Brutal. You have those four things and you're, if you choose this route and you have those four things, you're going to be doing uh, some stuff. Yeah. Some like wild stuff. Barack Obama also famously said, like a man is always trying to just like make up for the validation he wants to get from his father that he's never going to achieve. And like, so Barack Obama, mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk have these things. And I'm not quite sure what your definition of success is, but like, man, mine is kind of, you know, those three people are like up there. That's fair. You know? um, number one, what do you think about that? But number two, that is really difficult to wish on somebody yet. It's like, if you can turn these pain points into your hero's story, like they did, mm-hmm. you can do fucking remarkable shit. And that's how, in my opinion, you become neurodivergent enough to become a disruptor of society. Yeah. Um, yeah. Neurodivergent divergent enough. Um, my opinions on that actually probably, oh man, where do I want to go? Um, so if we're going to go step back into like almost the the graph that you were showing uh, at the beginning where it's like kind of cultural stuff, mm-hmm. is I don't think people nowadays experience enough hardship. I think we have too many safety nets where people are not financially uncomfortable and they aren't put into places where they have to crawl out of a hole. Um, no, they're not. Yeah. And I feel like those four things, if they happen to somebody and you can come out on, on the other side, whether it's with the help of friends or whatever, then you know what it's like to be at rock bottom or to be, or to overcome these adversities. Mm -hmm. So we talk about IQ and EQ a lot. There's actually an AQ, which is an adversity quotient. Okay. And, um, it is a huge component in people being able to succeed. Um, and I think nowadays, which is everybody goes through hardship. I just don't think enough people go through times where they have to decide, I have to make it through this. And they like look at the world and they're like, I will come out on the other side of this. Like say you're abused and you're like, I'm abused, but I will overcome. Mm -hmm. Or if you are in poverty, you're like, and this is the craziest part in America because we have the safety net of um, welfare mm-hmm. is like failure is not really failure. Like in, in the olden times before welfare, if you didn't succeed, you starved to death. Mm-hmm. And so nowadays it's like, if I don't succeed, I'll still be okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you live pretty well. I don't, I don't want to say like pretty well, but the people on welfare are not doing terribly. They're, they're, they're yeah. fed. They have yeah. clean water. This whole thing about it's actually better to be on welfare than it is lower middle class in America. That is correct. As somebody who was a little bit of lower middle class, I was was incredibly um, jealous of people on welfare because I'm working my butt off and making less than what they're getting. Like some of them were telling me they, like this was years ago, but they were uh, technically getting paid enough where it would be compensated to about 60, 65,000 a year. Yep, yep. And you're like, I'm working and making 40K. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. sitting at home. Mm-hmm. It was, it blew my mind. My sister was having Ella, my niece, her first child. And in the room next to her, this woman was giving birth to her eighth kid. She was like 26 or seven. No. So she was young. My. That was her job. 
collecting. And I think we've, cre- we've created a situation where, um, like she was a single mom. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. And, and oh my God. Yeah. Another point to that was she was like, um, the, the nurse was, you know, telling us that she probably shouldn't have, but she was telling us this. Yeah. Cause I'm sure you get fed up at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Like you're not you're not having kids for the right reason. Like right. you want you still want to have sympathy for the individual and like they're in their position, but there's a point where you're like, it's still not okay. Yeah. yeah. But she did tell us that they've never had the same like father in here twice. Oh my. You know. But you just think, um, I mean, let's see what's Ella. She's eight right now. So yeah, you just wonder how the you just hope that the kids are getting the support that they need. That's the thing. Is you the a father figure is better like yeah. you have to have both dynamics like whatever you want to say we either have to have a great male and female role model because the like both components of culture are important mm-hmm. and when you have the male component acting as a male component and the female component acting as a female component which they are undeniably better at what they are designed to yes. do yes yes now, a female you, acting, filling a dad's role is very difficult to very do and vice versa. Yeah. And I had a single dad home and I noticed growing up, I was lacking in many departments because I never had that other side of things. Yeah. And I would go over to my friend's house and you just saw the care and the empathy that was put into the mother's role. Like I, um, I still remember now, this is not the best uh, example, but we were upstairs hanging out, my friend Forrest. And he just, he just like yells downstairs and is like, mom, can we get some sandwiches? Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, like, are we going to, he's going to run up. My, my father's going to run upstairs and just like, <laughs> like whip me with a belt. And, uh, and she of course just like comes in through the door sandwiches. Like, oh, I got you some sandwiches. Like here's, here's that's some so water. Sweet. And I was just like, what is happening? That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And like, that's when I realized that like, it is nice to have both roles. Like the father is supposed to be like the father figure where they establish like the, at least for uh, boys or whatnot. It's like they establish the masculinity, how you're supposed to take responsibility for your actions, how you're supposed to be tough in situations. And then the mother is supposed to be like, here's how you care for people. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's fascinating that you came from that, but you, you're such an empathetic dude. So you've obviously worked really hard on that's, achieving that. That's fair. I, and like you said at the beginning, he's like, I had my heart broken Yeah, and I had to learn. Teach is fast. Yeah. There, there's, there's no life lesson like being at literal rock bottom and like, what do I do? Where do I go next from here? Gosh. My last question for you. Last question. Seriously. Oh. What do you been doing with your fitness? Dude, you look good. Oh man, Dad! You want me to answer this yeah, literally? Yeah. Yeah. What have you been doing? Oh man. So I've been focusing on. Um, so uh, this might go on for a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, what I've been establishing for my patients and kind of the ideology around um, health, fitness, and the world of um, physical fitness yeah. is there's some metrics out there that are designed to give you. Um, kind of an idea of where you land on how much you function. So a lot of these are called return to performance or return to sport, but there's also some that go further where it's like you decrease your chance of morbidity or mortality. And one of those for an example is say you're supposed to be able to do a leg extension of your body weight. Right. And so like, yeah, 
And then another one is you're supposed to be able to do um, a goblet squat of half your weight um, and hold it at the 90 degrees for 30 seconds Oof. and then be able to come back up. Oof. Yeah, that's called the toilet test. Oof. Um, because, and the idea of these is like, you're never going to have to sit on a toilet holding a goblet squat of half your weight, right? Yeah. But at the end of a very long day... And like, say you're sick and say you've had to do a lot. If you don't have that buffer of fitness, then you may not be able to get back up. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Right. So, and then, so I started taking these and applying these to my, uh, my fitness level. So I started with, can I do a leg extension of my body weight? And so then I started challenging myself of, I needed to create absolute strength. I needed to create muscle endurance and I was failing in my absolute strength in almost every category. Wow. And so I started training absolute strength to where I was able to lift more. And then that only helped with my hypertrophic gains. Yeah. Because like you say, it's like, if you can lift a lot and you can control it, yeah. huge. Yeah. And so I started doing that, adding that to my regiment, and then also pairing all of these other ideas of physical fitness metrics. Mm -hmm. um, it's been incredibly beneficial. So I'm trying to create these because again, all of these metrics are out there. They're just not put together yeah. in like uh, like an amalgamation or put together very cohesively. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do that now so I can like give that to my patients mm -hmm. or maybe put it out into the world. So like people are able to easily address areas that they lack. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, I don't think people quite understand exactly how strength is formed and the relationship between strength and hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. um, and since I was chatting about this with a client earlier today, and it's mildly top of mind, and then you brought it in as well, obviously for longevity, mm -hmm. the more lean body mass mm -hmm. um, you have to a certain point, mm -hmm. the longer you're going to live. The better cardiovascular out output you have along with that lean body mass, the longer you're going to live. If you have a lot of lean body mass, low cardiovascular output, then eh, you're kind of uh, not doing super well. If you have low muscle and high cardiovascular output, that's not super great um, either. Well, that to be said, hypertrophy and strength relationship is not one that's very correlative in my opinion because mm -hmm. strength is going to be more of a neural adaptation your body gets really good at movement and even as you grow muscle the muscle yes can handle more tension to it your joints your ligaments can handle more tension to it your body's better adept to handling the tension if you're growing muscle the body weight is probably also going up which means more leverage that you can put into a load when you're moving it but strength is going to be a neural adaptation more often than not. Like look at powerlifters and their physiques, for example. There's some powerlifters with incredible physiques and they work extremely hard at their craft. Mm -hmm. Yet they're stronger than bodybuilders mm -hmm. and maybe deadlifts and squats and bench pressing, maybe other movements as well. Yet they're not near as physically developed mm -hmm. as bodybuilders are. So the strength component is important for hypertrophy though because the muscle – it just responds to stimulus, how much it was on it. So if I can use a 105-pound dumbbell and I can control it with the same manner I can a 60-pound dumbbell, with the same tempo, with the same mechanics, with the same intent of the movement, that's obviously going to be more beneficial for me. That being said, the whole relationship with ego lifting that people you know, will have, and I've had in, in my career as well as why I have so many injuries, um, they... 
that obviously takes a bit away from that. So you have to maintain this execution, set that mark, maintain it as you go up and load. But that strength response, that's neural driven. And, um, you know, this goes back, I've got a angry bodybuilder in my Instagram DMs right now who says that I'm shitting on bodybuilding because I just simply said that, um, we have neurotransmitters that are made in our stomach and I'm not quite sure exactly how that's me shitting on bodybuilding. But anyways, um, this does go back to that relationship. So now we're getting even deeper into the physiology of the body that, okay, strength is neural, Hypertrophy is a combination of neural because body's like, oh, shoot, I need to grow more muscle to be able to manage what my human is asking me to do. But if your gut is under distress, Mm -hmm. that's going to be sending distress signals to your brain. Mm -hmm. And guess what's not going to respond in the same manner that you would like it to is your strength and mm-hmm. your hypertrophy your central nervous system. So this literally is saying when you have high anxiety or you have high, maybe you have some depression or you have something like that, you are limiting how much you can get out of training from a strength response and a hypertrophy response. So... For anybody who has an issue with me simply stating these facts, you can gladly bring them into my DMs and not make passive-aggressive Instagram stories where I have to call you out as a man to another man, and let's just communicate about them. If I'm ever saying anything that you think is wrong, bring it to my attention. But if I say something that triggers you, take that to your therapist. <laughs> That's a good point. Wow. What do you think about that? No, that was great. Uh, I knew I, I love that you stepped in on that because you're absolutely right about strength being neuroadaptive. Yeah. And then also, of course, you know way more about the hypertrophy world than I do. Again, I'm working from a completely different angle on how the body works and how it functions. The What you have done in your career and your experience is just incredibly um, adaptive to the neural adaptation and the physiological adaptation of the muscle to create an aesthetic appearance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I love that, one, you're always willing to link in other things because it really is the whole package. Yes. It's the gestalt. So if you're not addressing one thing, then you cannot make the whole thing better than the independent parts. Yes. And like you bringing in gut health is just so incredibly important. You bringing in anxiety, depression. And if you're not working on those things, you are limiting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you bring those in because most people will be like, I need to ignore this because it's almost like they think that they can't fix it or they don't want to fix it. Yeah. And it limits them. Yeah. It yeah. does limit them. It limits how far you can go as a competitor as yeah. well. You'll often see people who have very high levels of stress and anxiety. They can't actually get in shape because, well, stress. Your, your body, yeah, your body's used to running really high cortisol. And obviously cortisol breaks things down, right? But if you're running very high cortisol, you're also going to be likely running at some point some decently high insulin as well. Mm-hmm. Which, so now you have two things going against you. And if your body's not super responsive to cortisol, it's going to fight that stress response or the um, the fat loss adaptation metric that you're hoping to achieve. Have you seen people who are extremely high on cortisol for long periods of time? They have. We, we, yeah, we have do. I just had a 28 reading. Yeah. So um, they are incredibly, they have trunk adipose tissue, but their legs are, or their extremities 
are thin. Isn't that crazy? And it's crazy to see. Like beer belly type. Kind, yeah, almost, yeah. Almost worse. Yeah. Like I see people and it's almost, like you said, it's from stress. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned exactly what the mechanism was. Um, it's escaping me right now. Oh, I don't think it's going to come back. I've learned what that mechanism was. I hate when that was. happens. Um, You're like, I need this specific word. Yeah, it's like it's a protective mechanism against your organs, which are obviously mostly in the trunk of your body because you're in a constant sympathetic state mm. of like having to fight or flight. And so obviously if there's more fat um, adipose or um, like around the organ, mm -hmm. then it's going to be better protected. Visceral? Um, visceral fat, yeah. So it's going to be better protected. Um and that's as much of the uh, of the theory behind why that happens as I can remember. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it is quite fast. It's just a protective response when you're continually high stress. So yeah, if you do have more fat in your midsection, yeah, I bet if we look at your cortisol levels, it's going to be high stress. Yeah, I had a um, girl come to me recently with a 28 cortisol reading. Like we liken a 22 to a 24 of like standing in the middle of a room that's on fire. No. Yeah, and she was 28. So that's really bad. Man. Yeah, we really like it between like 11 and 13. Okay. Um, that's like a pretty normal response. Obviously, like the range on the paper will show like, you know, 16 is good and 17 is good. I think it goes up to maybe like 17.5 or something being good that's pretty high that's decently high um and like you also don't want low cortisol either you don't that's just as bad correct as high cortisol. yeah like i'll get a client with like an eight reading and i'm like and they're like hey look, like my my stress response and i'm like, no 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 <laughs> yeah we need a stress response yeah you are supposed to have um a like an at an uh, apt response to any external stimulus or yeah. internal stimulus. There's a level of stress that is just right. Yeah. And too low of stress, you won't live, um, you, your longevity is cut down. And too high of stress, your longevity is cut down. But too low of stress actually cuts down your longevity more, at least from what I've seen. Really? Than too high of stress. Because too low of stress typically means you don't have much purpose. Too high of stress, you're typically having a high amount of purpose and you're just being pulled in a lot of directions right now with mm -hmm. that high purpose. Yeah. So Interesting. That fascinating? That is fascinating. I wonder... Yeah. You, you know, uh, well, man, if we were, we can wrap it, but um, they did this random study on college students where um, before they started college, and it, this is the craziest thing. Yeah. They took two groups. One group thought for 90 minutes, that's it. Okay. 90 minutes on like the course of their like future. Okay. And the other group didn't, of course. It's kind of like, you know, you like write down your goals. Yeah. And the group that thought for 90 minutes did excessively better than the, uh, than the control group. Yeah. And that's the craziest part about this study is it, it was a 90-minute moment of self-reflection at the beginning of your journey. And I think, like you said, if we have too low of cortisol, we have no purpose. Mm -hmm. And sometimes all it takes is for 90 minutes mm -hmm. to gain that purpose. That's interesting you say it because now I'm thinking about the people that show me low cortisol. I wonder what their like professional pursuits are like. Yeah. Or, or pay attention to that. Or almost not even like 
how they feel about their professional pursuits. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because people can be in a pathway that was that set. Like I always think about corporate. People are like, oh, I just climbed the ladder. Yeah. But then you want to understand how they feel about climbing the ladder. Is that something that is authentic to their perception of the world? Mm. And that's, that's a crazy mindset to get into. It's very hard. Yeah. Purpose is one of the greatest drivers of longevity and happiness both. Yeah, um, see that. Like you can be somewhat unhealthy, but have extreme purpose and like live pretty long, longer than someone who's very healthy and doesn't have purpose. That's interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. So too much peace is bad for us. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. But like you wonder about like the super breathwork people. Uh-huh. I love that. I think it's incredible. Mm-hmm. But the super, super, super duper ones, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like they just, they go do their ayahuasca trips and they do the breath work and they meditate for six hours mm-hmm. a day. I, I wonder what, I, I wonder how aligned they are with this insanely deep purpose. Cause I wonder if it's like self-serving or, or outer serving, uh, external serving at that point. You just wonder, cause they have no, sh- I mean, their stress response is like minimal. I could, I could see that. I actually know a person who worked at a place that guides people through these breathwork ayahuasca journeys. Yeah. And their main complaint was there was minimal follow-up on their journey. So what he noticed was people were doing these things to gain perspective or dissociate, but they never brought in all of those ideas. Because the idea of ayahuasca journey is almost you're supposed to get into a different mindset. So you can then bring in these new ideas, condense them and use them as pressure for your purpose. But people don't want to do that work after the journey because it's hard. Yeah. You like went on this amazing journey and you're feeling good. Why would you want to step into the fire again? Mm. And so, so there's kind of like a net zero. Sometimes. If you're not willing to do the work after, then it's, it is a net zero. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Dr. Hugh. Third time on Grover Dye Podcast. I look forward to the fourth time. I do too. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was our best one yet. (laughs) All right, Dr. Hugh, Grover Dye Podcast. We'll see y'all next time. Peace.